Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Toy Story 4. The newest Pixar film opened this past weekend, so we're going to dive in and discuss it. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the future of Pixar now that Pete Docter is in charge and they've announced a couple of their upcoming releases and how this strategy differs from what they've been doing in the past. But to kick things off, um, I I really liked Toy Story 4 a lot. Like I went in kind of skeptical even after there was positive buzz out of the uh, junket screening. I was just sort of like the the you know for those who need a reminder, Toy Story Four did not have an easy development. Um, it was pushed back. Um, at one point, uh, Rashida Jones and I forget who her writing partner is. Um, um, he has a, a story by credit, I think. Will they, McCormack. Will McCormack. They were going to write it, and it was going to be like a romantic comedy with Woody and Bo Peep. Well, oh, well, no, no. Well, you, yeah, you run it down. You run it down. Here's the, the fun fact is that it originated as a, a love letter about uh, Woody and Bo Peep from John Lasseter to his wife. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and you can kind of see threads of that in it. Like, oh, you can totally see like the Bo Peep Woody relationship is kind of is is definitely a big part of this movie. Well, and even the RV park stuff, like that's a big thing that John Lasseter always did with his family. They would take these big RV trips across the USA. So I think there are still remnants of that. And John Lasseter does have a story by credit. But you're right that this one went through a lot of incarnations. And that was one of the reasons that Rashida Jones left Parks and Rec. Um, I remember at the time, Amy Poehler said she's going off to do something really exciting that we can't talk about yet. And then a few months later, it was announced that she was writing Toy Story 4. So I think that – I mean I, I guess uh, it was revealed that Andrew Stanton actually started writing this movie before Toy Story 3 was released. Like he had the nugget of the idea and just started jotting down kind of like an outline of like um, – which I guess that nugget of, of an idea was where's Bo Peep and what happens when they reconnect. Um, and so then you know John Lasseter kept developing it, brought in Rashida Jones and Will McCormack to write it, which makes sense when you're thinking at that point – oh, it's going to be a romantic comedy. Let's bring in um, Rashida Jones and Will McCormack because they wrote... Uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Celeste and Jesse Forever. Yeah, they're writing partners. Um, and then Rashida Jones and Will McCormack left the project months later um, due to... I don't want to put words in their mouth, so I don't... <laughs> I want to make sure that I get it right. Um, let's see... They called everyone at Pixar a bunch of fuck stains. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, it has kind of been wiped from the... From the, the history way. of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but essentially it was uh, when they realized that the uh, environment at Pixar, and I'm paraphrasing here, didn't foster um, or value uh, women or or um, you know minorities as, as much as it valued opinions of others, they decided they um, it just wasn't the right fit for them. Um, and this came about because this was uh, right after Hollywood Reporter's expose on John Lasseter, who had been accused of sexual misconduct um, with employees. And the that Hollywood Reporter story said that that's the reason Rashida Jones left. And Rashida Jones was forced to put out the statement saying that wasn't it. It was uh, this other reason. Um, but anyway, John Lasseter was supposed to direct this movie, uh, stepped down and eventually stepped away from Pixar Development continued. Josh Cooley got promoted to director. I don't know if he was on board as co-director or not at that point, but um, he's been at Pixar for a while. 
uh, co-wrote Inside Out and and had been an intern and stuff like that. But the screenplay by credit is for Andrew Stanton and Stephanie Folsom, but then the story by credit goes to John Lasseter, Rashida Jones, Will McCormack, Josh Cooley, Valerie Lapointe, Martin Hines, Stephanie Folsom, and Andrew Stanton. And everyone else who works at Pixar. Yes, which is kind of like the first Toy Story, which you see like, you know, Joss Whedon has a, a writing credit on, even though not much of his contributions remain in the finished film. Um, although some of the dialogue, I think, is uh, very much Joss Whedon. But it's a very collaborative environment. But this one was a clearly a, a tough nugget to crack. And I think you can kind of see that in the finished film. I mean, the plot of it, <laughs> you look at, you know, RV Park, uh, Fun Fair antique store and it starts at bonnie's house like you can imagine different iterations of the film oh for sure like it exists in a very like the specificity it's like there's an antique store but it's also right next to the fair and the fair is where (laughs) they go on their rv trip (laughs) like it's like we're not going to discard anything we're all just we're just kind of weave it all together and but you know the thing is is that it works because it has such a strong thematic through line that all the settings and plot beats kind of serve what the film is about. Yeah. The plot is kind of nonsense in this movie. It doesn't make a ton of sense when you stop and think about it, but I think you're right in that the, the thematics of it really, uh, really shine through and overcome it. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I like the movie. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, just to, to piggyback off what you're saying, like the plot beats are, and I think we're going to, I mean, the film made over a hundred million dollars this weekend. So if you're listening, we're going to assume you've seen it, even though it technically underperformed, which to me is more of an indictment of forecasters than the film itself. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I would also say like, yeah, like there are a lot of weird things in there just in terms of like what characters are featured and like who's doing what. And it's it's a lot of movie into its uh, into its runtime. You know, who doesn't have anything to do in this movie is Buzz Lightyear. The Buzz Lightyear has more to do than freaking Jesse. Jesse has nothing to do for the most <laughs> part. True. As do most of old Andy's toys and Bonnie's toys. Like they yeah. are basically stuck in an RV for most of the movie. Yeah. Which I'm kind of fine with. Um I mean I found the Woody Bo Peep relationship is kind of the heart of the movie and and that's um well, Woody Bo Peep and Woody Forky are kind of the the two beating hearts of the film and those are what I was most drawn to. Mm-hmm. And even Gabby Gabby, this new antagonist character who I thought was really uh compelling and interesting and shaded, voiced by Christina Hendricks. That's the stuff where you really are interested, and I found myself every time it cut back to the R V kind of zoning out a little bit. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, Buzz is still there. I feel like so the Woody, Bo Peep, Forky, Gabby Gabby stuff like that's the heart of the movie. That's what it's all about, and everything around that is just to service that story. So yeah. like Buzz Lightyear is around, but he doesn't have an arc in this movie. His whole thing is quote unquote listening to his inner voice, but really just sort of like do, he'll do stuff that helps Woody's journey. Kind of. I'm trying to think. What does he do? I mean, I guess at the end, he's crucial just in a pure plot. That's what I'm saying. Like, from a plot perspective, like, he's there. Like, he's in the second chance antique shop. Like, he's trying to go get Woody. And, like, he's trying to bring them back. Like, but, you know, he's not emotionally going through anything in this movie. 
No, and I, thinking back, it's been a long time since I toy, saw Toy Story 4. I mean, the heart of the first Toy Story, obviously, is the Woody Buzz relationship and the butting of heads of the old and the new. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you paint Buzz as kind of this clueless character who doesn't know that he's a toy, and that's fascinating. But you can only do that once. Um, and, gosh, what does Buzz do in Toy Story 2? I can't remember. In Toy Story 2, he leads a rescue mission to get Woody back. Okay, that's it, uh, and that's compelling enough. And then in toys, by you get by the time you get to Toy Story three, you've got him like stuck to Spanish, because it's kind of like what else can we do with Buzz? Right. Oh, and and in Toy Story two, there's the uh, the other Buzz, the fake Buzz. Like yeah, the the Buzz who's just out of the box. Yeah, so I think you can see across this franchise, like the Buzz character is great for the first movie, and then it becomes very hard to figure out what to do with him. Right, because he doesn't have the same kind of emotional investment that uh, Woody does. Cause Woody has all these other characteristics to him. Like he is the leader. He's also very connected to Andy. Like he's, you know, he's sort of, he, he cares a lot about the other toys and what it means to be a toy. Like he has all these other defining features that you can really dig into. Whereas Buzz already kind of had his narrative journey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of done. So, kind of in the background in this movie and and i guess that was a natural progression i haven't seen all the shorts i saw the hawaiian vacation short uh i don't know if i saw anything else after that um but i mean seeing as the as how like toy story 4 is all about kind of entering a new phase of your life uh at that point where you feel like you've you've done your life's purpose you've done what you felt you were built to do but you're still here and you don't know what else to do now. Uh, it's kind of moving into new areas of your life and uh, opening yourself up to the possibility that you're meant to do something else now. You're meant for something else now. Um, that whole theme of kind of moving on, mm-hmm. Buzz doesn't move on ever. That's not really Buzz Lightyear. No. But I actually like that. You know, it's like when we talked about Cars 3, we're like, that's a, like, the theme of Cars 3 is so fucking weird for, Cars th- for a Cars Jeez. movie, which is like, what will your legacy be? And I'm like, the people who see this movie are like, they they were six when the first cars came out, and it's ten years later. So a teenager isn't like, "What's the legacy going to be? When's it going? <laughs> when are you going to hang it up? What are you going to leave to the next generation?" It's like I'm in middle school, <laughs> you know, I'm in high school. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, about the next phase of my life, which is to go to ninth grade. <laughs> exactly, but I feel like you know because Toy Story four takes place twenty four years after the first Toy Story there has been real growth with the people that grew up with these movies to the point where you can understand, like, what does it mean to go to a new phase of life? Whether that's I'm moving from college out into the real world, or I'm starting a family or I'm moving to a new job. Like there are these different transitions that I think Toy Story four speaks to in a way that feels appropriate in a way that cars three did not. Yeah, I think it's handled much better. And and honestly, the movie is funny. Like, the Cars 3 is not funny, and so I don't really know what it offers kids. It's very earnest, in not in, like, a sweet way, but in, like, a really sad, melancholic way. Um, whereas Toy Story 4, it tugs at your heartstrings um, a bit, obviously, but uh, it's got a lot else to offer. Yeah, I was uh, laughing throughout the whole thing. Forky is a brilliant creation. <laughs> I would like to know how that character came about and who created him. Um, and just and and I think the direction by Josh Cooley is really good too because it's it's got a lot of humor that I don't think would uh, 
it doesn't feel like Pixar in the '90s. It feels new. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. the whole gag of Forky jumping off the bed into the trash and Woody throwing him back up on the bed goes on forever, uh, and that's why it's funny. But it feels more born out of the humor of something like Family Guy or Veep, where like you stretch a premise out, and the longer it goes, the funnier it gets. Yeah, it's sort of well, you know, and, and that's not entirely a new thing, but it is something that I think is more apt to today's comic like that kind of joe is sort of like sideshow bob stepping on the rakes where it's funny and then it goes on and you're like how long is this going to go and then it goes so long that it's funny again and then that's the joke it's just in the realm of like feature animated films i haven't seen it oh for sure no it's not yeah in this in this particular realm it's a different kind of comedy and certainly the comedy is different than what you would have seen in the first toy story there's more absurdist humor, like the breaking yeah. of the the um, kind of spell of the toys and, you know, the toys must not reveal themselves to the humans. But then you have that the extended gag with Ducky and Bunny <laughs> attacking humans as themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and to the point that the first couple times you see the gag, uh, you don't know if it's actually happening or not. Um, it's very absurd and I like it. I think it's really funny. Yeah, it's very much on my comic wavelength. And um it just it works really well and it makes it feel fresh, but also like yes, this is where it should end. Like some people, like what were your feelings on Toy Story three? So I love Toy Story three. Okay. I don't like. I feel like at the time it was released, everyone loved it, and then it became a film that was not cool to love. Mm. It was like uh, it was overrated. I don't really know where it stands in the public consciousness now. Um, just reposted my uh, rankings of all the Pixar films. You can read them on Collider.com, but I know a lot of people gave me shit for putting Toy Story 3 that high. Um, for putting it both too high and too low, uh, which is the internet. It's di- it's, yeah, well, it's a divisive movie, and I get that, because in some ways it's doing something new, and in other ways it's kind of familiar. I think it can be, in some ways, the darkest of the Toy Story films. Oh, it's films. absolutely the darkest, in that its, it's antagonist does not have any moment of redemption. The antagonist yeah. doesn't have a come to Jesus moment. Uh, Lotso hug and bear like reaches a bitter end and he deserves it. It's not uh, like, it's not like other it, Pixar. It's films. not like a wacky, like up ah, old prospector's going to get drawn on by a creative girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, Lotso gets strapped to the fuck of a, fu- <laughs> a fender and that's his eternity. <laughs> that's his eternity. And he get you, you get that moment where it's like, Oh, Lotso's going to see his humanity. And he's going to turn around and save the toys. And he doesn't. And then I think that's the key to toy story three. And that's one of the reasons I love it so much is because it, it is unexpected. Like mm-hmm. it's a little familiar, I guess, but as they're on that train heading into the trash compactor, I remember watching it the first time and I was like, Oh, here's the part where Lotso, you know, decides to save them despite himself. And he doesn't. And then they get headed towards the incinerator and you genuinely do not know what's going to happen next. You're like, are they actually going to kill all of these toys right now? And that's a testament to Leon Kutch's filmmaking in that movie that you believe that that could happen. Even though looking at it objectively, it's like there's no way a kid's movie would end that way. Yeah, I would say that like for me, when I talk about its familiarity, it's a familiarity that runs through all four Toy Story movies, which is that they're all rescue plots. That's the plot of every Toy Story movie. And so even Toy Story 3, it's like we got to rescue him from the daycare. The daycare isn't it all. It was all as cracked up to be. And so Woody's got to come to the rescue. And like, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine for what it is. Um, 
But um, Toy Story like, Four is two rescue stories. Exactly, rescue Forky, like, and then rescue Bo Peep, and then rescue Forky again. Exactly. Like, and and I can, I guess, because I think thematically, Toy Story Four offers me more than Toy Story Three does. Is why I'm not not that I think Toy Story Three is bad. I don't think any of these movies are bad. It's just Toy Story Three did not stick with me in the ways that the other three have. Oh, see, Toy Story 3 has stuck with me almost more than any of the others have. Oh. Granted, I haven't watched the first two in a while. I watched them when I first did that Pixar ranking a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just kind of update it whenever new films come out. But uh, I'm due for a rewatch of those first two. I would um, say, check them out. I mean, they're now, you know, it's cool. Is that now they're out on uh, 4K. They released the first yeah. three on 4K. And I, I um, for me, Toy Story 2 is the one I love the most. That one to me is just yeah. such a marvel that it turned out so well. And I just love what it's doing. That one's my favorite. And I, I love the behind the scenes stories of it as well. And it's a bummer that John Lasseter turned out to be a creep, but I don't think that doesn't mean that we can't also acknowledge like, Oh, he saved this movie. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he's a creep. Yeah. He's a total creep, but he made some good films. You just have to, you kind of have to, it's, it's, it's like you do with all shitty people who make <laughs> art that you love, which is that you enjoy the art, but you have to also now feel a little shitty about it, which is just, <laughs> yes. that's the trade off. Knowing what we know, I don't subscribe to death of the author. So <laughs> that's fair. Um, Toy Story 4 is probably my least favorite, but I still like it. Okay. Um, and maybe it'll rise in the ensuing years. It just felt, I mean, going into it, it was like this movie has to prove it has a reason to exist. And to me, it kind of proves that it has a reason to exist. I think the ending is nice and good. Um, and it's a nice ending for Woody, but I also feel like the ending of Toy Story 3 was satisfying enough. I didn't necessarily need this addition, this addendum mm. to the story. I Even just, though I do, in the moment, appreciate, like, I like what they did with Bo Peep. I like that she's Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 now. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what they do with Woody, saying, like, your whole life cannot be Andy. Like, Andy's gone. Um, you know, Bonnie's moved on. Your whole life cannot be these these children. When they move on, you also have to move on. Um, I really like that. Aspect well, and I also it. like that it, it's moving on, but also moving on to something that makes sense for Woody, which is he's always been about not leaving toys behind. Yeah. Well, and that's the aspect that that really choked me up in the finale was this idea of these kind of lost toys finding a purpose, not in some sort of like personal gain way, but a way that betters lives of others. Mm-hmm. So Ducky and Bunny are you know, saving people from the car, saving stuffed animals from the carnival so that they can go and find homes. Um, and Gabby, Gabby, uh, you know, I, I guess I won't spoil her ending there, but I will say Gabby, Gabby's final moments are the moments that made me uh, really choke up more than yeah. anything else in the film. Um, it's what, a great uh, character. Gabby, Gabby is really it, in it, a way that I like, I, I can't call her the villain of the film. Like she's just yeah. not, she is an antagonist, antagonist in that she wants something different, but she's yeah. completely sympathetic for what she wants. And yes, this movie does go in some weird places. Like what makes a toy a lie? Like what makes Forky alive and not <laughs> like what makes him a toy instead of trash. And you know, this is a movie with toy surgery. Like it's really, when you dig into its guts, you're like, there are some very odd choices here, but it kind of works. It's this kind of fascinating alchemy. You witness the, the like ascension of conscience of a new toy, yeah, Forky, and it's terrifying. But then just the running gag of him thinking that he's trash and trying to get back into the trash—it's yeah. just so funny. 
<laughs> Tony, I thought Tony Hale did a really great job doing the voice work there. He did. Yeah, no, I just, it, this film worked far better than I expected. And I was just really deeply impressed by it. And, you know, and I, I feel like it, it bodes well for the future of Pixar. Like if yeah. you can nail, if you can take a film like Toy Story 4, which was very troubled and turn it into something like the fourth entry in a long running series and it's very successful and yet it feels new. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is a safe kind of new entry, like not bad, but like it's not it's not a finding Dory. I'll put it that way, you know, yeah. which is that like finding Dory is fine, but it's completely forgettable and kind of unnecessary whereas i think toy story 4 makes the makes a good case for its own existence yeah toy story finding dory in the minute in the moment i was watching it i was like oh this is nice this is fine and then just completely forgettable which is kind of how i felt about a lot of the recent pixar movies even something like incredibles 2 which i think is really well made really exciting really fun it doesn't have the same sense of like, if I'm going to sit down and watch a Pixar movie, am I going to watch The Incredibles or am I am I going to watch Incredibles 2? Yeah. I feel far more spurred to watch The Incredibles. That's the that's the issue is that a lot of like – so, I, I mean, no, it's never really gone on record, I don't think. But it's very clear that like when Disney bought Pixar, they're like, you're going to make a bunch of fucking sequels. Like, yeah. that's that's what you're going to do now. And starting with Toy Story 3, there are a lot of sequels. You know, there are there's 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 Cars two, Cars three, there's Toy Story three, Toy Story four, there's uh, Finding Dory, there's Incredibles two, there's Monsters University, and the thing is, is a lot of these other movies like they don't really stay with you in the way that the originals did. No, I think it at the time it was reported that for every one original or for every one original movie they had to make two sequels, something like that. Mm, yeah. To continue and that ratio and that ratio turns out turned out to be pretty true. Yeah, I mean, and I think there are yeah. It just started to feel perfunctory. Like I mean Cars Two is abysmal. It is their only out and out disaster, I would say. Yeah. And the only reason Good Dinosaur isn't a disaster is because the photoreal animation is pretty. But it's other a than nice that, tech it's, demo, but it's that film should have been scrapped. It's so boring. It's so boring. It's really boring. But like, and look, along the way, we did get Inside Out and Coco, which are both great. Yes. But, yeah. you know, now it feels like. And those two films feel like, to go back to the Incredibles 2 versus the Incredibles, I. Coco and Inside Out are both film, both Pixar films that I uh, are in my regular rotation of Pixar rewatches. Mm-hmm. They're they're both just really rewarding upon subsequent viewings and really exciting and really really enjoyable. And maybe Incredibles two will be that someday, but just for now, I just don't really feel. Um, even Toy Story four, like it, if it's on TV, I'll probably watch some of it, but it's not. Uh, you know, every now and then I'll get a, an itch to watch Wall-E or watch Up or something mm-hmm. like that or. Um, you know, obviously not the Toy Story films because it's been so long since I've seen them, but uh, don't really feel that with some of these recent ones. Yeah, which so now I'm, I'm, you know, there are no Pixar sequels on the horizon, and part of that is that they've just stopped announce. Like there was a point where they were like announcing stuff way in advance, mm-hmm. and I think that that backfired on them, especially when you know, Good Dinosaur, they had like a cast lined up and they had to fire that whole cast except yes. for Francis McDormand. They got rid of the director, brought in a new director. Like, and and again, with Toy Story 4, like we talked about, like it, it was a really tumultuous production. And when you let people sort of see all the work, you know, when you've announced things so far, and the thing about animation is that animation is very fluid. 
it is a very fluid kind of creative process. And so because it doesn't work like, like it'd be one thing if it were a live action film, it's like, yeah, we scrapped the, all the whole cast except for one person. We're going to reshoot the entire movie. That would be bad. That would, that would actually be very troubling. But for animation, that's just kind of par for the course. But a lot of people don't know how animated films are typically produced. And so it creates a sense of drama where there isn't necessarily one to be found. It's just the process. Like Ratatouille was that film. Like it was scrapped pretty much and redone with Brad Bird at the helm. Like they redid that film. Um, I think... You know, one of these was redone like in six months. Like it, it or, Toy or, Story Two was uh, a matter of months. It may have been eight, nine, ten months somewhere around there. But yeah. Toy Story Three Two was built from the ground up within a matter of months. Exactly, which because is very Pixar unusual. Got yeah, Pixar got wind that Disney was doing a direct to video sequel, and once they finally saw what it was, they were like, "No, no, 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 this is bad. Um, let us take over. We'll do it theatrically. It'll be good." So, um. But yeah, Ratatouille, they had to because – so that came about um, – Ratatouille was supposed to be potentially the first Pixar film released um, without Disney involved. So at that point in time, Pixar Pixar is the animation studio. They create, they're the Marvel studios to Disney basically. So they create the content. They write, direct, produce, do everything, and then Disney releases it in theaters. They handle the marketing and stuff. So they had an agreement to do that, but they were running into um, trouble with Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of Disney at the time. Um, and they were exploring leaving Disney. Their contract was almost up. And they were going to go elsewhere. They were going to find another studio to distribute or maybe distribute themselves. And Ratatouille would be the first movie that did that, which is one of the reasons Ratatouille feels unique in the Pixar library. It feels to me like the most grown up Pixar movie. Um, It's almost kind of bridging that gap between kids movie and adult movie. Um, uh, Once Bob Iger took over from Michael Eisner, his first order of business was go to Pixar and qualm their fears and make sure they re-upped. Um, and then Disney bought Pixar. Um, but um, that's kind of why Ratatouille was weird. But yeah, Radbird came in and scrapped like the whole thing, <laughs> and built it from the ground up all over again. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> it happens, and it's dirty, and it's ugly. And as evidenced by Toy Story 4, it can sometimes work out well. But we hit a point, especially with Newt, which was supposed to come out in... Gosh, when was that? Like 2011, somewhere around there? Somewhere around there, but it was. It turned out it was so close to Rio in terms of its plot beats that they were just like, forget it. Yeah, so there's some concept art you can see online for it. They had been in early development on it, but they uh, canceled it. Um, I can't remember who. I think they, they tried to get Pete Docter to direct it um, before it got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he moved on to creating what would then become Inside Out. Um but it's interesting. Uh, and so around that time, they kind of – because before then, like Matt, you and I were around on the internet at that time. And Pixar would announce like a slate of like five years of movies. Yeah. And like, and, oh, cool. And it, it could even be something vague like Lee Unkrich is working on this film that takes place during the Mexican Day of the Dead. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have a title. You don't know who the characters are. You don't know what it's about, but it's like, it takes place during the Mexican day of the dead. And you're like, you just kind of go with it. And like, we're making a film about a dinosaur. Okay. You know, but now they're like, you know, and like the thing is like, they would release like, a, they'd show you like a concept art piece, like two or three years in advance of like what the film was supposed to be. And today we've arrived at a very different Pixar, which 
which I think is having a smarter, I think that's a smarter strategy for them, which is don't do anything until you're like a year away from release. And then by that point, you're so relatively close that you can safely let people in on what you're doing. So, um, like last March or last August, so like a year and a half, like we got the first word of onward. Um, but like, we didn't really know who the casting was. We didn't have, I don't think they gave us any concept art. It was just like a very sort of like, it's a kind of a spin on a fantasy film. And like, that was, they didn't give you very much. And it wasn't until like, what, like a couple months ago, or even if that, that they're like, here's what it's about. Here's the first trailer. Here's like, they really laid it out. And then last week we got the first announcement of soul. And when they announced it, they told us what it was about in that vague kind of Pixar way. And that sort of like, it takes place inside a child's mind. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. What is, (laughs) what are you telling me? And then it like, it took a little digging to be like, Oh, this is Pete doctor's new movie. (laughs) Yeah. It takes place in New York city and also in the spirit realm. Um, and it's Pete Doctor's new movie, which – so I had heard – so Pete Doctor took over when John Lasseter was fired, and I had heard that he kind of resisted the job at first and would only take it if they would let him finish his movie. And this is the movie that he was doing. It's called Soul. Um, I've heard some very exciting stuff about Soul that I cannot share, but it sounds uh, insane, and the um, talent involved with it sounds pretty insane. I think it's going to be kind of a special movie, but – like we we knew that like ambiguously p doctor was working on a movie but we had no idea that it was a year away from being released which is usually fairly far along like they've i'm sure they've got voice cast attached and and have been doing recording sessions and you know animation and and storyboards are well underway um but it used to be that Pixar would release a trailer a year out, and that trailer would not be a scene from the movie. It would be like footage specifically made yeah, as like, like a teaser. Yeah, like uh, Mr. Incredible trying to get his suit on, like, and he's yeah. too fat for his suit. Like that was, exactly. and it gives you an idea. It's like, oh, there's this superhero, but he gets the call, but he's gone to seed, and like that's the idea. It's like, oh, so, but it doesn't tell you what the movie's about, but it gives you like an idea, and you get excited for it, and that's what it would be. Yeah, yeah. Which I I, th- I kind of liked that. I wish they still um, did that. I thought that'd be kind of fun. I still wish they had bloopers at the end of the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the bloopers on Toy Story 2 were, were pretty funny. <laughs> they are it's so expensive to me. I know. That's what I also kind of love about you're it. You're writing just fake bloopers and then you're having people slave away for months to animate them. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes no financial sense. And I, I'll also admit that bloopers at the end of the movies are usually the sign of a bad movie. But... Um, I don't know. They were cute for what they were. <laughs> it's been they've been through a pretty significant evolution, but um as you said, no sequels on the horizon. I don't even know what they I mean, I guess you could do a sequel to Brave. I'm um, a little surprised they never did a se- sequel to Up. Cuz Up is just such a clear adventure to- tale. So if you does it like take place in like a hospice facility? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you did you need Up to take place in real time? Is that what you needed? Like, oh, no. I can't watch an Up film that picks up where the last one left off. Just imagining if there's any kind of time jump, it just gets very sad. Yeah, well, if there's a time jump, he's fucking dead. <laughs> but as uh, Incredible 2 show, you don't have to have a time jump. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Ratatouille could I just probably, went to a dark place. Yeah, Ratatouille could probably have a sequel, you know. 
mm-hmm. in a world of like celebrity chefs or something. You know, like there's there's places for these stories to go. I'm not saying that they should. I I am perfectly fine leaving up and Ratatouille as they are. I do not need to see that story continue. I also just think it's it's a better. I, I'm kind of curious. If the low, you know, again, the expectations for Toy Story 4, I think, were unfairly high. But Disney's still going to perceive it as like, oh, this underperformed. And my thing, my concern is, is like, I wonder if Disney's going to be like, people are getting franchise fatigue or they're going to be like, we should, you know, no more Toy Story films. But, you know, get me another Wally. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's curious, and it's an interesting thing. I mean, for years, Disney sequels did not go into theaters. They went direct to video, and there's a reason for that. It's because animated films, by and large, are watched by children. And so by the time you get an animated franchise, uh, especially like Toy Story 4 that's this old, I mean, you and I were children when we watched the first Toy Story and are now adults. Now now we are cynical adults. Yeah, and I can't promise, like, if this wasn't my job, I can't promise I would see Toy Story 4. I know a lot of my friends just have really no interest in seeing it unless it's with their kids. And so it's kind of a question of, well, who is this for? Are you? And so that's why I think you can get away with not really doing much with Buzz or with a lot of Andy's toys specifically. Because you go under the impression that, you know, a lot of these kids probably haven't seen the other Toy Story movies. Or maybe they only saw Toy Story 3. Well, and also because of Disney's fucking vault. Like, yeah. That's the other thing. Like kids are just, you see things on streaming and these movies are not on streaming. They probably will be when Disney plus arrives, but that doesn't help. The, that doesn't help toy story Four now. There's nowhere you can see toy story. The first three toy stories on a streaming platform. You have to actually buy them. No, but they do play all the fucking time on Freeform. That is um, true. Freeform plays a ton Wait, of Disney. Are Pixar you talking movies. to me about cable television? <laughs> yes. How old are you? That relic of the past. <laughs> are you fucking 90? <laughs> I still have cable. Sue me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's it's interesting, and so that makes me wonder, like that these franchises. I think so. I was talking about this with my fiance the other day. I was like, Toy Story three was perfectly timed because when the first Toy Story came out, I was a kid, and when Toy Story three came out, I was just um, let's see, I was graduating college, and so like it hit. If you were a kid during the first Toy Story, you were around like college adjacent age when toy story three came out and toy story three was all about growing up and moving on and leaving kind of your toys and your childhood behind. And that hit those kids at that exact right moment. Incredibles two was also very well timed in terms of, uh, people who saw the first Incredibles when it came out were kids. Um, if, and if they saw Incredibles two, they would be kind of late teens, early twenties, something like that. So it kind of you can get this nostalgia. Whoa, 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 whoa! If you were a kid and you saw Toy Story, are you talking about Incredibles? Yes. Like if you saw Incredibles, if you were older than six, you would be like twenty. Like you'd be twenty in your twenties. Yeah, that's be, a, did I didn't I you say said, you, early twenty? You said teen teenagers. Oh no! Well, I mean, if you're five and you see the Incredibles, I guess <laughs> some antics. <laughs> The idea still, idea still stands, though, because you look at the box office of those sequels um, and just looking at the excitement of the people who are like early 20s when Incredibles 2 came out. It was like, oh, man, this was my childhood. Uh, I specifically remember someone uh, who was like 20 was saying, like, if I go to this theater and there are any kids crying, I'm going to kick them out because this movie is so important <laughs> to me. Um, 
But, no children at my children's movie, please. Yeah, which, I mean, it was half-jokingly said. Yeah. But um, that was kind of the sentiment I felt when Toy Story 3 came out. It was like, this is very important to me. Like, I, you know, kids are going to see this movie, but I, you know, a 20-something-year-old man, um, need to see this movie in the perfect conditions. Uh, so, like, those kind of sequels can time out well. But my question is, when you look at Toy Story 4, kind of like, who is it for? Like, is it for children who have been watching the shorts? Is it for people who are now in their mid-30s who were kids when Toy Story came out? Like, I, I don't necessarily know the audience for it. I think the, the – I, I would say it's probably – like, a lot of Pixar films, It it's really more for adults and it just happens to be a kid's film. But <laughs> And the kids can laugh at the certain things, but the, it has very mature subtext that only, like, adults who've lived through things will appreciate. So yeah. I think, honestly, you know, Toy Story 4, despite being a kid's film, is probably for people like us who saw Toy Story when we were kids. Um, that being said, I do think Disney kneecapped themselves a bit by not doing more to make the first three Toy Stories more widely available yeah. in a way that would have made those younger viewers more excited. Because, you know, if you were a kid and, like, if you're a kid now, you can still, like, that first Toy Story, you're going to enjoy it. The animation... Yeah is like, you're not going to like scoff at the animation. I've seen the animation on, um, you know, children's programming. Like we have, I have like young nieces and I watch like Mickey, I see like Mickey's like adventure and it's like CG, but it's garbage CG, but it's garbage CG for now. It's CG is about on par of what, of the first toy story. Yes. (laughs) So they would be fine with it. They're not going to like be like, eh, this looks bad. No, it's not that much of a stretch. I do find it interesting that the the character that's getting the Disney Plus spin-off series is Forky. Mm-hmm. And that to me signals that, you know, kids seeing Toy Story 4 maybe don't have that fondness for the original characters and let's be frank the movie serves as a goodbye and an ending to those main characters. So, it's the tangential or new characters that kids are probably going to respond to more. Um and that's why he's getting a Disney Plus series. I'm curious about the Monsters uh Inc Disney Plus series where Mike and Sully kind of have supporting roles. It's more about like a new um, monster set in that world. So it's kind of kind of jumping onto the world building of these Pixar films and uh, like putting them in a or presenting them in a way where kids don't have to have seen the originals to enjoy what's going on. Right, right. Which I mean, I would argue looking at Finding Dory, like there's not a ton there that um is new to latch onto but it made so much money so what do i know <laughs> like that kind of throws my whole theory out the water so who yeah. knows who knows um anything more to say about toy story or pixar before we continue just that i look forward to seeing what's coming up i mean we have two pixar movies next year both of which are originals there's one scheduled for 2021 and then two in 2022 um we don't know much we know that Dome Shi is working on one who created the short film Bao. Um, Mark Andrews, who took over directing Brave, is apparently working on something. But uh, yeah, hoping for more originals than sequels. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, well, with that, let's move on to Recently Watched. What are you, what are you seeing lately? Oh, man. So I finally caught up with Fleabag after years of everyone um, screaming that it's the best thing in the world and you have to see it. Uh, and it's the best thing in the world and you have to see it. It's so good. Uh, 
I was expecting to enjoy it. I was expecting to kind of have fun with it. I didn't expect it to have the kind of profound impact it had on me, especially season two. Um, so it premiered in 2016. Uh, it's created by and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and it's based on a, a one-woman uh, stage show that he made. she made. Um, and it's basically just following this um, kind of confused, angry, um, sexually active woman in London um, and kind of her complicated relationships. Uh, season one is a little prickly and, and to a point, like the, the point is that it's prickly because it's, it's kind of mirroring her character and her character's journey. Season two, quote unquote, the hot priest season, uh, starring Andrew Scott as a priest, um, kind of the central thing in that season is Fleabag falling in love with this hot priest. Um, and like, what does that mean? And how do you, how do you reconcile that? The writing on this show is on a level, um, that I haven't seen anything like it on on television before. The writing and performing. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character does these asides to the camera, breaking the fourth wall very quickly, um, very snappily. Um, it's kind of, oh gosh, crudely, it kind of feels like Aaron Sorkin crossed with an Edgar Wright film. Um, it's very quick-witted, um, but all to a point. And there are payoffs that you uh, would never expect to be coming down the line um, in terms of structure, in terms of form, in terms of character. It's just so well plotted and well acted. Uh, I mean, I adore Barry. Uh, listeners of the show know. I adore uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Give Fleabag every single comedy Emmy in the world for season two. Um, oh, it's damn. just It's just that good. It's it's insane. And like I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I discovered that others who watched the show also had the same reaction. It ends in such a way that you just have such a heavy heart and you just keep thinking back on how it all connected to itself and how it all wrapped up and how she chose to craft this journey. Um, it's a very short time investment. Each season is only six episodes. Each uh, each episode is only half an hour in length. Olivia Coleman is in it and is fantastic. Uh, Andrew Scott is fantastic in season two, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I mean, that it's, it's a performance for the ages. And I just, I mean, my fiance and I ended, we finished season two and both of us were in a funk. She was just kind of a, a, an emotional mess. And then we decided to watch killing Eve to, I was like, I heard this is fun. Like Phoebe Waller-Bridge also wrote this. She doesn't star in it, but I heard this is fun. Um, maybe it's like a pick me up and it's great too. It's, it's really fun. But, um, she just has such range as a writer um, and, you know, as a performer as well. I, I really just can't wait to see what she does next. But if you've been hearing about Fleabag and have been putting off watching Fleabag, it's on Amazon Prime. It is absolutely well worth your time. Um, I would suggest catching up before the Emmys this fall. Uh, it just might be kind of fun to kind of follow along and see how it does because Amazon has been making a, a really big push uh, with season two. And the critical acclaim for it has been kind of through the roof for season two. Not to say season one is bad. It's not at all. But season two is kind of a more hopeful, um, more romantic season. So it's a little more palatable. Um, But be forewarned, the opening episode of season one is essentially a 10-minute anal sex joke. So do not watch it with a mother-in-law in in the room or people (laughs) who may be offended. Um, It's very funny, but it's very graphic. Not like visually, but um, language-wise. So. Um. Yeah. All Watch right. I I intend to. I intend to once uh, once I once we finish up with Big Mouth. 
we'll probably nice. move on to Fleabag. Fle- Fleabag actually might pair quite well well with Big Mouth. It's very um, sexually adventurous and uh, uh, graphic. All right. Sounds good. Um, for me, uh, we had some friends in town staying with us this past weekend. We wanted to want to watch something light that was kind of, you know, not too demanding. And so, uh, one of, one of our friends hadn't seen uh, bad teacher and I hadn't watched it in forever. So we pulled the DVD off the shelf and gave it a watch and it's, it still holds up for what it is. It's basically, um, directed by Jake Kasdan, who did, who also did walk hard and uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. The story uh, follows a character played by Cameron Diaz, who is a bad teacher. She doesn't care really about anyone or anything except herself. And she's planning to to marry this rich guy, and then he dumps her, and so she's forced to go back to teaching, where she believes that the the way to get get a rich, hot guy is to get breast implants, so she schemes to sort of find ways to get that money and then along the way ends up becoming a slightly better person. Um, it is a, a bit of, it's a bit of a dark comedy with a very cheerful sheen to it. Uh, but on this most recent viewing, I was just like, I, I don't think we appreciated Cameron Diaz enough. Uh, she's retired now. Um, and I get that there were some times where she would sort of repeat a role, like her role in Annie is kind of a repeat of bad teacher. And so is, you know, um, the other woman is kind of a repeat of this, but I would also say we'd be remiss if we didn't like remember her performances and being John Malkovich and as weird and as out there as it is like her performance in the counselor is memorable. I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. It's a memorable performance. It's weird. And it's, I don't know what to make of it, but you know, I like actors who take chances and she did. Um, and I just think she's a fun performer and I think bad teacher is one of her more memorable roles and, it's a good movie. I think also it has really strong supporting cast with Phyllis Smith and Jason Siegel. Uh, Justin Timberlake has his, the way he, there's a scene where he talks about how much he hates slavery and it's the way he says it is just makes me crack up every time. Um, it's a fun movie. Like it's, is it, is it a great, is it one of the great comedies of the 2010s? No, but is it, it's, it's fun. It's the kind of film that also they're not really going to make anymore. Um, or if they do, it'll be on streaming. So I would say, you know, if you haven't seen Bad Teacher and you want something light to kind of watch on a week weekend afternoon or evening, you, you could do far worse. Great. Yeah. Did you ever see I it? I don't think I ever saw it. I think I've seen parts of it on cable TV, but I don't think I never, I don't think I ever finished it. It's, uh, I okay. wanted to see it. Uh, I always get it mixed up with sex tape. Is that sex, also Jake Kasdan? That is also Jake Kasdan with also Cameron Diaz and Jason Siegel, but that movie yeah. is bad. <laughs> that movie is that one, and I did not like that one. Yeah, that movie is bad. Bad Teacher is the good one. Um, yeah, I would I recommend checking that one out. Um, okay, well, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood, and you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.